It is in July of 1776 that we as America became acquainted with the document called the Declaration of Independence. There on that July 4th, being ratified by that Congress, signed a few days later um, in July. And that document, of course, was part of the foundational instruments used to create this nation, the implications of which we are still discovering. Those principles found in the Declaration of Independence, many of which is the foundation for our philosophical uh, direction as a country. It makes you wonder, did those signers have any idea when they were putting their names what would happen, the implications of those documents? Some of them had a good idea because you've got folks like John Hancock, who of course put his name in a very loud fashion uh, for King George III. And the understanding was that if something happened and America did not win this battle, these who signed their names would be the ones who would hunt it down and hanged in treason uh, for their revolt against the king. They understood that aspect, that they were putting all their life and livelihood on the line when they signed. But if they could have imagined what has happened since that time in 1776, the implications of that document, uh, when they said that these truths are self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, I want to share with you this morning of a, another founding document, so to speak, though not written on paper, that it did indeed fit all the legal uh, bindings of that day and age, and even more lasting and impacting than the Declaration of Independence. And that was, in essence, a declaration of dependence upon God. And it is given to us in Genesis chapter 15. It is the covenant that God makes with Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, those of us who have studied with us in this time have seen the first uh, covenant given in verses 1 through 3 that God selected Abraham. Out of him would be nations, and of Abraham would be a descendant that would be a blessing to all of the nations. Whoever blesses Abraham will be blessed by God, and whoever curses Abraham will be cursed by God. And so now we get to chapter 15, and we get somewhat of a, a ratification, if you will, of that covenant in Genesis 15. We're going to find some interesting uh, aspects to this ritual. You're going to find some powerful uh, points uh, to Jesus Christ uh, in this covenant. We're going to look at what prompted this covenant as well as the promises and the prophecies found in this covenant and the pointers of it, as well as the precedent that we'll see in this covenant that still dictates to us how we respond to God. And so if you'll turn in your Bibles to chapter 15 of the book of Genesis, and we're going to read together this passage. If you'll stand in honor of this passage as we read it together, you'll read silently as I read aloud, and then we'll study this together and learn from it. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus? Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. He that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars. Thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. 
And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years, and a ram of three years, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against the other, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation thou shalt come thither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it shall come to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. And the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. And the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Cadmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephaims and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. You may be seated. All right. Let's see what we can find out of all of this cultural stuff and names, what we can learn. And I'm, I'm going to tell you that I've been blessed by this chapter as I, as I study this. Uh, just in way of remembering, uh, those who weren't with us when we did chapter 14 two weeks ago, Abram just won some military battles, recovered Lot, recovered the spoils that belonged to Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, wiped out some kings, and so his common has been met by the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, given uh, Abram gave praise and glory to, to God for the victory that was done, met a man named Kaizedek, Kaizedek, a priest of God, and uh, basically just gave the praise of the Lord and said, I don't want any of these spoils. I don't want to say that any man made me rich. I, the glory goes to God. And, uh, and there he, he uh, came back, and it's after these things, as we find in chapter 15, verse 1, after these things, then we have this vision. There's a connection between what has happened and what God is about to tell him. And so we find, as we read verse 1, that God says, Don't fear, Abram. I am your shield, and I am your exceeding great reward. So don't worry about these armies. Don't worry about any retribution. I will protect you. And yes, I see you've passed up on the temporal riches of Sodom and Gomorrah. Understand, I will be your reward. And so he's saying, you've done well, Abram. You've chosen well. You've acted out of faith. And, and you will be rewarded by me. Uh, and so you've sought me. And so he's giving him, uh, well, a praise. Giving him encouragement in, the, in what's being done. And so in verse 2, we have this, this question. Abram said, Lord God, you know, that's great. I'm glad to have success. But what good is success if I don't have a successor? All right? And so he's asking... All right, great, Lord, I'm glad you're my shield. Thank you for being my treasure. But where's my son? That's kind of the question he's asking. So it's kind of interesting to see what prompts these covenants, this covenant that we're about to get from God. is really a question that Abram has, and we see it not only in this passage, but as well as we skip down to verse 8, he asks another question. God changes the subject to Lance, and yes, you're going to have a son. Not only are you going to have a son, you're going to have descendants, you're going to have nations, and they're going to have land. And then in verse 8, he says, well, well, you know, now that you're mentioning this land, God, how will I know that I shall inherit it? And so we have these two questions that prompts uh, this, uh, well, 
covenant from God. And it's amazing to me how Abram responds to God. I mean, if you get a word from God, a vision from God, you know, I would not, as your pastor, counsel you to ask questions. You know, our job is just shut up, you know, listen and tremble. Uh, but here, Abram is, is asking questions, and God is answering these questions. It's amazing to me. Uh, we know they have a unique relationship. Isaiah says that, that Moses, or that Abram, is a friend of God. He gives that title, friend of God, repeated again in James chapter 2. But the good news is, here's the good news. Jesus says that if you follow me, I will make you my friend. You will be my friend. You're not just a servant. And so we see this unique relationship with Abram. And the, the idea that Jesus tells us is not unique to Abraham. You can have it too. You can be a friend of the Lord. And so there is these, these questions, all right? So let's see how God answers the question. One is, you know, God, great, let me just have a son. I just need one son. You know, descendants is wonderful, multitude is great, but just one will do me. Uh, and in verse 2 he says, you know, I don't have anybody except this servant, Eleazar. He has a kind of a play of words here. He says, I have no heir except this Eleazar of Damascus. Really, in Hebrew, the heir is Ben-Mazik, and then Damascus is Damnazik. He says, so he's kind of having a play of words here uh, that Abram is making, uh, pointing to Eleazar. But notice verse 3. Abram says, look, you've given me the offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. God answers it in verse 4. He says, look, it's going to be someone that comes from your own line. It will be biologically of you, not someone that you adopt. no one that's brought into this position, but someone that's born from you. So he's being more specific. And now notice verse 5. You, you have the, the promptings of this covenant, the questions. But notice verse 5. We have the first promise. The promise. He says, I want you to go out and just look outside. It's getting close to dust time. It's in the southern part of Israel. There's no street lights, all right? Uh, it is a clear night. You can see in a desert, you know, it just blows your mind on the stars you can see. And, and so God says, can you count? The stars, see if you're able to number them. He says, so shall your descendants be. Now, every good teacher knows that you don't ask a question unless you know the answer. Isn't that amazing? God asks this question. Can you count the stars? God can answer that question. You see, there's a beautiful passage in Psalm 147, verse 4. Let me read it to you. It says, he counts the number of the stars. He calls them all. By name. Isn't that beautiful? Again, in Isaiah 40, verse 26. Lift up your eyes and high and see who has created these things, who brings out the host by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. I only have three children and I get their names confused, all right? Uh, here, God is saying, I know the stars and I know them by name. So shall your descendants be. All right, now I want to make a little logical jump here. In the New Testament, the Bible says that all those who come to God by faith in Jesus Christ are called descendants of Abraham. Descendants of Abraham. You see this uh, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 28. It says that Isaac is the children of promise in chapter 3, verse 29. Galatians, if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's seeds and heirs according to the promise. Okay? If I am by faith... Coming to Christ, I am an heir, a descendant of Abraham. God said that he knew all the descendants of Abraham. He said there as the stars of the earth. He knows the stars by name. He knows the descendants by name. God knows you 
by name. Is that something? I tell you what, he knows my name. That is a wonderful thing. You can go up to any presidential candidate. They may not know your name. You can go to any celebrity. They may not know uh, your name. You can go to your heroes of this world. They will not know your name. But if you go before God, God says, Ray, I know your name. Dwayne, I know your name. He knows your name. That's a beautiful thing to, to understand that and see that. That is the promise that we have in this covenant. Now, we go to verse 6, and we find a precedent that's found here. It is the reaction to this covenant. He says in verse 6, it acts as a bridge between this first promise and then what comes after the prophecy. This bridge in between is verse 6, and he believed in the Lord. Who's he talking about? Abram believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. This is the very first time this word believed has been found in the Bible and the book of Genesis. The very first time. And we find it right here. He's trusting in what God has said. And, and what's the result? God what accounts it, or assigns value to Abraham. And here's the value he assigns. Righteousness. Righteousness. You understand, Abram has already had faith. He's had faith in following God from Ur, but it is brought out here in this passage specifically so that you can connect it with his descendants. Descendants, one of which would be Jesus Christ. And so there is, there is an overt connection with the descendants of Abraham and this uh, justification by faith. Now, this comes out in the New Testament over and over again. You see this in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 4, verse 3. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Again, verse 22 and verse 23. Uh, we see this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Uh, so we see there, we see it in James chapter 2, verse 23. Scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. He, didn't, he hadn't sacrificed his son Isaac yet. He hadn't done all these acts. He just believed God. That is a wonderful thing. Abram, remember Abram, he was the same one that lied about his wife and said, you know what, wife, I know you're my, you know, you're my wife, you're also my half-sister. Let's go with the half-sister side of things so that you can protect me, wife. And uh, you may get taken, but you know what, my status is going to get enhanced. This is the same guy that told his wife to lie and was kind of a, really took advantage of his wife for that and, and came out good because of it. This is the same guy. But because he trusted in the word of God, when God looked at him, he saw righteousness being in right standing with him. That gives me a world of hope. Because I look at my life, I know what I did. I know what I've done. And I know my desires, my pride, and my selfishness. selfishness. And God says to you, if you will trust in me and believe in me, I will give you righteousness. It is the gift of God. Now, what does it mean to believe in God. First, it's more than just believing that God exists. Uh, there, is, there is that aspect of faith. We believe that he is, but it's so much more. It is to trust in him, uh, to hold uh, everything that you have dear in this one's trust. What was Abraham doing? Abram's greatest need was to have a son. He said, you know what, God? I'm going to trust you with my deepest need. Faith in God is to trust in God with your deepest need. And if you're going to trust in God with your deepest need, 
You're going to trust in God with your not-so-deepest needs as well. And understand that all of your soul, your eternal destiny, rests in God's hands. I really have a problem with what we have in American Christianity of, of, of just walking down the aisle, of, of making a, a, some statement at some time in your life that you, that you uh, made a profession of faith or that you made Jesus as your Savior, you prayed a prayer, but you never in your life exhibited trust in God following Him. I just find that very foreign as I read the Bible. It fits with America. It may not fit with what the Bible says. It is an ongoing, continuous trust that we have. And so this is something that Abram is expressing at this point. Later on, he does works. Works does not initiate the righteousness. It demonstrates his righteousness. Uh, it demonstrates his faith. And so uh, we see this, this precedent uh, set here that still applies to us. Have you ever wondered how it is that Abraham, Moses, and all these folks, are they saved? How are they saved? Do they go to heaven? Are they with God? Have you asked yourself that question? Well, as I read this passage in Genesis 15, 6, it tells me they're saved the same way you and I are. They're saved by grace through faith. The only difference is that we, our, our knowledge of God is more specific. Abram was a little bit more general, but he trusted the same thing, that there would be a deliverer that would come from him. And so we, we see that explained to us here in verse 6. Now, let's keep on reading. He says, I am, I am the Lord. He brought you up Ur of the Chaldees to give you the land to inherit it. So God changes the subject a little bit. And, and Abram says, well, God, since you're talking about it, how am I going to inherit this land? Verse 9. It's interesting. It doesn't seem like he answers the question, does he? He said, well, give me some goats, give me some cows, some pigeons. He doesn't really answer the question, it seems. But we're going to talk about that in a little bit. If you just kind of hold on and skip down to verse 12. All right? I promise you, I'll come back. Verse 12. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. Behold, horror and a great darkness fell upon him. Verse 13. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. All right? Now we get to the prophecy. We've seen the promise. Here's the prophecy of this covenant. He says, you want to know for certain? Let me tell you something for certain here. Your descendants will be slaves for 400 years in a nation that they do not belong in. But I'm going to judge that nation. And then they'll come out with great possessions. You notice it doesn't mention the name of the country? Why? Well, if someone told you, God told you, that uh, you know your children will be slaves in Mexico, what will you tell your children? Never go to Mexico, all right? Never go there, all right? Well, God doesn't tell Abraham what nation it is. He just says there will be a nation that will uh, you will be enslaved to. Now, you can imagine the folks reading Genesis. The first readers of Genesis were the Israelites coming out of Egypt into the Promised Land. How much of a, a comfort would it have been for them to understand, you know what, God knew about these things, and he was in control. You know one of the questions that often comes out in the Holocaust and the Jews are asking, where is God in the midst of all this? I imagine those same questions were asked in the Egyptian slavery. Where was God? How could he allow us to be going through these things? And what God is telling them is that he knew in advance these things were happening and that he was in control. There was a purpose in which he would bring things to be. And so we find out a little bit about this. In verse 15, he says, now, Abraham, I'm going to give you a word. 
You're going to die. You're not going to see these things. But it'll be a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they're going to come back here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Isn't that fascinating? God says, I'm going to take you out of this land. I'm going to let these people let, stay here for a while. They're bent toward evil. They're, they're not for me. I know it, and I'm going to let it continue. Isn't that amazing? God says, I've got mercy, and I'll give them mercy, but I know in advance when that mercy will end. And in that day it comes, I will use you, Abraham, and I'll use your descendants, and I will push them out of the land. You know, it makes me wonder about America. Sometimes we, we ask ourselves, those folks who study end-time prophecy and think, you know, where's America in the book of Revelation? Where, in the end times, where's America talked about? And, and honestly, it doesn't seem like it's talked about that I'm aware of. And we ask ourselves why. I think one of the reasons why is because we're not a factor in the end times. It could very well be that God in America, as we continue to do, go against God's direction, God says, I will let you go for a while. And I'll let you have sway for a while. But there will be a day and time when you will be thrust out of influence and power. I'm not a prophet, so I can't tell you that's exactly what's going to happen. But you know what? It wouldn't surprise me if it did. The Bible does talk about in the end times that this land, these people, will grow worse and worse. Second Timothy uh, chapter 3 talks about this. But know this, that last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves... Lovers of money, boasters, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal despisers of good. It goes on and on. He says, this is, this is the world that we live in. He says, this is how the Amorites are going to go. But there will be a day and time when it's all going to be over with. That's not really the point, but it's just an interesting piece right here. Verse 17. It came to pass, when the sun went down, it was dark. Behold, there appeared a smoke oven and a burning torch and passed between those pieces. All right, now let's go back. I want to talk about not just the promises and the prophecies uh, and the, what prompted the covenant and the precedent of this covenant. Let's talk about the pointers, all right? What do I mean by pointers? There are incidents that occur in this covenant that point to Jesus Christ, all right? Now, it doesn't seem like God's answered this question that Abram's asked. How will I know that we will inherit this land? It's done. The answer is... And that question is answered in the actions, all right? He tells them, as you read, go get your animals. Go get your, your heifer. Go get your, your goats, your, your rams, your turtle dove, and a young pigeon. In this verse 10, Abram starts cutting them in two. God didn't tell him to do that. He just started cutting them in two from head to the toe, lengthways, and he splits them up down the middle, placed each other opposite the other. How did he know to do that? What you have here is an ancient custom for making covenants. You and I, we sign on the dotted line, we get a, a, a notary uh, to, to endorse it, to stamp it. Well, back then they did things different. They'd use these animals, all right? And they would split them up and make a pathway in between uh, these two animals. Blood on this pathway and the ritual was is that the two parties would make a covenant and they would walk in the midst of this bloody path. And the statement was this, that if I do not follow the conditions of this covenant, may I be as these animals. All right? 
And so you, you see reference to this in Jeremiah chapter 34, verse 18, a reference to this type of covenant uh, being made. God is telling Abram, Abram, you want to know for certain? I will, I will communicate in a way that you understand. Get your animals. Cut them in two. We're going to make a covenant. God steps down and makes a covenant with Abram. In so doing, he says, I will be in relationship with you and all of your descendants. All right. Now, <laughs> there's something really good here I want, I want to get to. Now, they, they do this. Notice verse 12, Abram's reaction. The birds of the prey are coming down, the vultures, and, and, and Abram is, is wiping away. He doesn't want anything of this world violating this divine encounter that's about to happen. That's a good word. Do not let the things of this world, the desires of this world, come in and dilute and corrupt the divine encounters that you can have in your own life. That's not really the point. Just an interesting thing for you to explore. But here Abram is at that night. Notice the reaction. Horror. A deep darkness fell upon him. Why is he so afraid? Because Abram is about to have a covenant with God. (laughs) With God. He understands that if he does not live up to his end of this covenant, he will die. Horror and a darkness fell upon Abram because he's about to make a covenant with God. And so... God speaks, and he has this word of prophecy. And as that prophecy is being wrapped up, you find verse 17. The sun went down, and it was dark. Behold, there appeared a smoking oven, a burning torch, the presence of God. Abram is about to step into some things that he realizes is way over his head. You ever had stuff like that happen where you made some decision, or you said something, and it put you in a a situation that was way over your head? I remember uh, when uh, I was, Julie and I were dating my sophomore year of college, and I had made a, a decision, to, and I told Julie about this long before, that I would never tell her I love her unless I was ready to back it up with my life. In other words, saying I love you would be the same as will you marry me. That it would be that type of exclusive relationship. I had seen the flippant ways that the words love was thrown about and ruining people's hearts. Um, and I wanted it to mean something to her. And so I told her that. And I remember my sophomore year, the end of my sophomore year of school, thinking, you know what? This is the one. I started getting the confirmation of the Lord that this was the one that, that I was to be with. And I remember I knew I was going to tell her I loved her. And I knew she knew what that meant. And you're, man, my, I could not get my words out. You know, you stuttered and you stammered. And you think, man, because you realize if I say these words... I can't bring them back in. They're out there, you know. I'm about to go down a road. There's no going back. And I remember I shared those words with her. And just the peace that was in my heart with, with this one. And we still had two more years to go for my school. She was moving down to Atlanta. I was still up in Boone. And this two years long disrelationship before email was really popular, all that kind of stuff. And it was going to be a long, long road. And I spent the next two years... Saving up money so I could buy a ring. If I, had no, I had no idea. That's just a tip financially. Man, you think it's bad buying a ring? Then they had something called a wedding, some kind of honeymoon. Was, man, and that was just the beginning of life. It's been continual ever since. You know, 
spending out money and one thing after the other. And now it's been 11 years and we've got three kids and I'm looking at life like, how did I get here, you know? It's, well, that's, but I, you know, I've not regretted one time ever telling her I loved her. Now, it took me down a road that was way over my head, all right? I think that's kind of Abraham's feeling right at this point. He asked God, God, will you make it clear to me? And God's taking him down a road that's way over his head. And the, the seriousness of everything is hitting him. The horror uh, of it all, the, the darkness fell upon him. But notice verse 17, I'm going to tell you, there was something that brought life to Abraham. There appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch. These two uh, symbols become the symbol of God's presence. Later on, we find in Exodus, uh, God leads the people of Israel out, and he does it by a pillar of cloud uh, by day and a flame by night. And so we see some uh, similarities and themes of God's presence. But why did he use two symbols of God's presence? Well, the norm was the presence of God was to come through and walk that bloody path. Then it was going to be Abram's turn. Abram never walked that path. Who did? God did it twice. Do you understand what, what's being said here? Abram, I know that you cannot meet the conditions. <laughs> and God does it for him. God does it for me. In other words, God's saying this. Abram, if I ever fell in my word... And my conditions are, are this covenant does not come true. May I be as these animals. May I die. And then when he walks, his presence go through again. Abram, I take your walk. And if you ever fail in this covenant, and you do not follow me, may I die. Not Abram, but God. <laughs> Did Abraham fail? Yes. Did you fail? Yes. I have fallen too. I am his descendants by faith, but it does not mean that I do not fail. I fail all the time. And there's moments and times when I do not trust God and, and I doubt him at his word. But God says, I've walked the bloody path for you. Therefore, I face the consequence of your unfaithfulness. And so Jesus comes, being the descendant of Abraham. And he says, in John chapter 8, 46, he told the others, he said, Abraham desired to see my day, rejoiced to see my day, and he did rejoice when he saw my day. Why? Because he laid out on a table. And he said, on that Passover supper, he says, disciples, remember me with the supper. This is my bread which is broken for you, given to you. This cup, this cup is my blood, which is shed for you. I am about to walk that bloody path. And because you've sinned, I will pay your price. And he dies on a cross. Why is it important that Jesus did not swoon? Why is it important that Jesus didn't uh, just, didn't just uh, get sick? Why was it critical that he had to die? Because God made a covenant to Abraham that said, if you or I were to fail in this covenant, I would pay the price. I will be as these animals with my blood poured out to the ground. And so his blood was spilt. 
all the way from the whipping post down the Via Dolorosa's to the cross itself. And there dragged, dropping to the tomb. His blood was poured out. <laughs> Friends, isn't this beautiful? To see the covenant of God in Abraham and therein the symbols of it. Whether it's the stars to let us know that God knows us by name. Or whether it's the animals split in two. And the covenant traditions to tell us that God walked the bloody path. So that we could have forgiveness. Friends, God is faithful. He has written, I love you, in red all throughout time. And it's not just on the cross, but even long before. It was written in red. God tells you, I love you. (laughs) Great is the faithfulness of God. Well, let me ask you. Have you followed the precedent that Abraham set? Do you respond by faith? It's not enough just to believe that Jesus did these things. You must trust That Jesus did these things. That means to wholly trust in him. And have no other backup system. For your salvation. For your soul. To say that Jesus is sufficient. For my greatest needs. For Abraham. It was a son. For you and I. It's forgiveness. But I don't know. You may have other deep needs. Are you turning to Jesus Christ. For those needs.